0: and welcome back to another exciting episode of catch-ups in my kitchen with me georgia simmons founder of greedy vegan and host of the podcast this week we are joined by aiden who is known on social media as the irish physio so i met aiden through my own physio journey as i injured myself in preparation for the london marathon this year which sadly i didn't end up doing but there is always next year but when I met Aiden and saw his social presence, I was like, he really knows his stuff and I needed to get him on the podcast. Let's be honest, we all took to running over lockdown, but it is really tough on your body. We've all done it. We all know the nickels that you can get. It is really difficult. So this episode is all about the power and benefits of running, but also how to run without the nickels and the pain. Not only is this episode amazing, but Aiden really opens up about personal elements of his life and explains why he no longer drinks. Honestly, Aiden is so knowledgeable, there is no way you will not learn something after listening to this episode, so I really, really hope you do enjoy it, and as always, have a lovely rest of your day. Aidan, thank you so much for coming. I'm really excited to have you in the hot seat to talk yeah. all things physiotherapy, running, your journey. Yeah, so how are you?
1: I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I've been listening to your podcast and uh, yeah, it's a privilege to be here. Um, no, it's
0: great. Recovery
1: now from London Marathon, which I've done, was it three weeks ago?
0: Yeah, we'll touch on that. Yeah. I think. Yeah being a spectator I think it is definitely a grueling experience and yeah we will definitely touch on that. So to start with do you mind giving us a quick elevator pitch on who you are and what you do?
1: Of course so I work as a physiotherapist and I have my own clinic in Putney so I'm in clinic three days a week and then I do some other projects we just set up it's called physio running Camps, so I do camps abroad. We're doing one in Kenya where we take physios who also run and we train and then I deliver a course or I lecture as well on physio and all, all things running really.
0: Amazing. I think it's really funny with physio because you don't realise how important it is until you really need one and then suddenly you're like researching everything under the sun and that person who helps you is like the best person in the world. Um, but I think it takes you to be in that like pain position for you to realise how important all the things you talk about online is but we'll touch on that more in a minute so firstly a quick fire round about all things food yeah so sweet or savory sweet juicy burger or overloaded salad juicy burger crisps or popcorn popcorn ice cream or sorbet ice cream cook in or eat out Ooh, cook cooking and what's your favorite delivery pizza yeah, yeah good
1: definitely one definitely pizza
0: Good one. So I want to start with your childhood and I believe your kind of passion then was football. So could you talk a bit about your kind of relationship with football, passion for football and yeah, what your childhood was like?
1: So I grew up with one older brother and um, we're very, very close, good relationship, very competitive. And I guess my dad as well played a lot of football. Um, so growing up watching that, I was, my dream was to play professional football. And, you know, thankfully that became a reality when I was uh, 17, 18. So I signed with a club in Ireland um, and then that's where all the injuries started. Uh, but I loved it, it was all I knew, you know, I used skip school <laughs> to go and train, um, unknown to my parents. Um, and then yeah, I picked up a lot of injuries and following on from that, I don't think I ever dealt with not being where I wanted to be. So. From the age of twenty, I'd already had three knee surgeries, and then I got released. and It was like, okay, what do I do now? But I never really dealt with it not playing football. I just stopped watching it, stopped playing it, and then that's where physiotherapy came in.
0: Okay, amazing. So, what caused the injuries to start with?
1: So the injury I had was an ACL injury, which is you know it's a th- it's a career threatening injury for footballers. I'm sure with your skiing as well, you'll know a lot of people who pick up ACL injuries. Yeah. Um, and then I came back, but I think back then the rehab was kind of subpar. So that was nearly 12, 13 years ago. And I came back after five months. Whereas now, we don't get people back after like nine to 12 months okay. um, in terms of like building strength, building resilience. So two, two games back in, I re-injured it and had the surgery again. And then two years later, I did the same injury on the opposite knee.
0: I guess when you're so passionate and so determined to do something, you don't want an injury to get in your way. So you're probably going to like want to get back as soon as possible. So then, when you had to kind of reevaluate, what did that feel like? Because if your whole goal and mission has been to play football, and then you realise you can't, like, what, how did you feel?
1: My whole identity was wrapped up with being a professional athlete. I, that was that was my goal. That was my dream. Um, and again, I don't think at that time, I have since, but at that time I didn't process that that wasn't going to be a reality. So to try and work through it, I think I just, I just forgot about it. I said, right, this chapter of my life is over. Now it's on to the next. And I think later on in, in life that kind of maybe came back to bite me a okay. little bit. Yeah. Um But I think at that time it was quite, it was, it was challenging. Mm. Uh, but now I've started to get the love for watching the game back, but yeah, my passion now is, is definitely running.
0: Yeah, I think it's funny how dif- people deal with things in a different way. And I think if you just had to block it out at that time and move on, it makes sense. So when you moved on, what did you move on to?
1: So I, I still had the passion of being a really good athlete. So then I moved on to rowing, okay, um, and I, rowing and physiotherapy. So academically, growing up, I didn't really do much. Like it was all about sport. And then I moved to. I. Th- it's it's kind of a long story, but. The quick one is I did a pre-nursing course to get into a sports degree and then to get into that sports degree, to get into physio, I had to do two years to, to get into physio because I didn't have the, the A-levels required. And I got into physiotherapy and then went on to do post-grad in uh, sports and exercise and medicine. Um, so from someone who had no academic background, what I do now pretty much on a daily basis is read research around around exercise and, and sports and exercise and medicine and, and running. So it really, it just shifted. Mm. So from being a non-academic, I would you know that's, that's a passion of mine now is reading literature and reading research and then trying to share that um, online and stuff. So, but yeah, rowing then played a big part. I you know, competed at Henley a number of years and then yeah. um, f- um, moved to London and uh, yeah, trained uh, six days a week, twice a, twice a day, uh, did that for about four or five years. And then I got bored of that, getting up at five in the morning to train. Yeah, that's intense. And also work as a physio. So then, yeah, I just transitioned then into kind of cycling and running following on from that.
0: Okay, amazing. It's funny how, like, at school when you're forced to learn, you're, like, not interested at all. And then when it's more of a choice, you then suddenly get your passion back for it. Um, So that's really interesting. So you went from kind of football to rowing to then running. So when did your love and bug for running Start because I feel like that's now your your thing.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think running for me is is now I see it as like a lifestyle, and I'm lucky that every part of my job is essentially dealing with runners or where it's research and running. And um, so I think my passion came like a lot of people around COVID. I knew I enjoyed running. I'd go for you know a couple of five Ks, ten Ks. I did it my first half marathon. I think it was 2018. Had no training, picked up, you know, uh, both Achilles injuries from doing that, and then following on from that, I kind of got the bug, and then during lockdown, like most people, I just started running to get out and do my my exercise during the day, and then I really jumped into the research side of it, and I started learning, and then I said, do you know what, I love running, I love treating runners, so now all all I treat in clinic is essentially runners, so like ninety five percent of my caseload is is working with runners which included yourself pre-longing. yeah <laughs>
0: I was gonna say I haven't even mentioned actually how I met you but yeah I kind of similar like I've always loved running I think for me it's a massive head clearer like just getting outside and running like clears your head I get ideas from it I just think it's the best thing in the world but then it is actually so testing on your body and if you don't know I think if you don't know how to run properly and that means like the aftercare, which we'll go into in a minute, it can be really, really tough. So when I thought I was going to run the marathon with my brother, I then really upped my running and injured myself. And that's when I was at Aiden's door, like, help me, help me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, next year will be my year for the marathon for sure. But can you talk a bit about, about running and how, firstly, how it teaches you so much about your body. And secondly, how there's so much more to running than the actual run itself because I feel like there's when I when I started training for example I was just like okay I'm gonna run four times a week and then the reason why I injured myself was probably because I wasn't doing the aftercare like I wasn't doing the strength training which you mentioned to me and probably wasn't stretching enough and probably wasn't doing all the things that are so crucial so can you touch a bit about yeah how that is a massive part of running
1: so one, one thing I love starting with is is when you talk about running and the overall health benefits that it has it reduces all-cause mortality by, I think, 27%. So we all have 100% chance of dying, but the relative risk is reduced. So cardiovascular is like up to 30% if you're a runner versus those that don't run. And then cancer is 25%. So that's a, it was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, I think it was like two years ago. So that is crazy. That is, those numbers are ridiculous. So cardiovascular is the biggest killer in the world. And we know through running, you reduce your relative risk by up to 30%
0: so if you're
1: thinking of running i think that alone do it (laughs) that alone is a big reason and that's one thing why i love working with runners i can i have the opportunity to to allow them to keep running because the biggest reason people will stop running is youth injury Mm -hmm. and therefore they miss out on all the other health benefits but as you said a lot of times when people are new to running they will they'll just say okay i'm going to start running four times a week cardiovascularly you can adapt to it so you're your lungs and your heart will adapt to it a lot quicker than your, your joints, your tendons and your muscles, and that's what causes the issue. So when we're running, we take high forces through the, through the body. So for example, your, to as your calf complex, like your calf and your Achilles, takes up to 11 times your body weight and force. So a lot of people get like calf strains, tight calves. Your knees can take up to three to four times your body weight and force. So you know, I'm 90 kilos, three or four times of that going through my knee for an hour run is quite a lot. So I think people don't really appreciate that it is demanding on the body, but it also takes a a while for your body to adapt to it. Mm. And then that's where the recovery side comes in as well. Like the training is the stress and the recovery is uh, allowing your body to adapt to it. And I think there's a lot of myths around how you recover best from running. You mentioned one of them, stretching.
0: Yeah, because I always thought that Stretching was key after a run because then you wouldn't feel as bad the next day. Yep. And I remember when we had a conversation when I was injured, and you were like, Strength training is what you need to be doing. And actually, probably from January to now, my strength has probably improved so much. I remember talking to you about Pilates, and I think yep. that is like the most humbling thing. And although it looks like you're doing really small movements, it's so great for strength training. And but I would never have thought that strength training would have helped me run. I'd have thought that, I don't know, more running would help me run or stretching would help me run. So why is it that it's strength training?
1: So uh, I guess first thing is with stretching, I would often say to people, stretch if you want to, not because you have to. So people will often say it will improve your ability to recover uh, by lengthening the muscle. Um, But actually, we know through research it doesn't. But it does make people feel better. So if you like stretching, by all accounts, do it. I like doing it. I like foam rolling as well. But it doesn't necessarily make me recover better. But if, it, if you have a perception that it makes you feel better, then I think there is definitely benefit from it. But when it comes to strength training, what we're trying to do is we're trying to place the body under high demands of stress in order for you to cope with stress. So when we're strength training, we're improving tendon health. Uh, we're improving bone bone health, muscle health, and also you could argue a bit of cardiovascular uh, as well. So when we're like running is quite monotonous; it's straight lines. Your bones and your tendons get bored, and that's why I see a lot of like stress fractures in running is because like multi-direction sports they love it. You're twisting, you're turning, you're stopping, and you're you're going whereas running you're just running straight lines, and then the bones just get bored, and eventually it, they break down, and then you develop like a stress response, etc. So by strength training, what we can do is we can improve bone mineral density. We can improve what I refer to as like tendon stiffness. So if you think of running as like a series of hops, we want our lower limbs to act as springs. We want them to store energy and release energy. And by strength training, we improve that. We improve that. So it's essentially improving our ability to produce less force for given strides. So let's say you had a twin sister and you both had the same physiology, the same, um, you know, VO2 max, and you're running at a given speed, if that other person has the ability to, let's say, squat uh, their body weight plus their body weight, so let's say I'm 90 kilos, if someone can squat 90 kilos plus their body weight, they have an ability to produce less force for a given stride. Therefore, they're using less energy and less um, load on the body, if you like so that's kind of yeah
0: crazy because i also feel like you can exercise you can work out like i remember saying to you like i'm always in the gym i'm always doing this but are you actually strengthening your muscles like sometimes you can be like i watch people in the gym all the time and i'm like what are you actually doing like i know you might feel better mentally but like are you actually improving what you're thinking you're improving and sometimes you're not like i remember we were doing exercises together and i was like this is so hard but it looks so simple and why can't I do this when I'm always in the gym I'm always active and I think if you're not if you you need the guidance to be able to tell you where you're going wrong what you're doing so I think yeah the whole gym exercise thing is is crazy how much it does impact your running
1: absolutely so a lot of people would think because running is high repetition you need to lift low loads for higher reps but then what happens when we go to like 12 reps in an exercise or 12 or 15 plus the limiting factor is your metabolic activity versus what we're trying to do in strength training is we're trying to get neuromuscular adaptations so by lifting heavier loads for fewer reps then we're going to improve that's that's essentially the stimulus we want so it's not about Going into the gym and sweating because you do that when you run. If we're talking about you know strength training specific for running, there's obviously benefits from doing hit classes and high intensity classes. But if we're looking at trying to improve our body's resilience for running, it is looking at doing things like uh, calf raises, but looking at lifting you know, up to fifty percent of your body weight. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's that's quite heavy. But it's about building the building the foundations and it takes time yeah. it doesn't mean you go straight into the gym and then just all of a sudden start lifting really heavy because the chances are you're going to overload and get injured mm. and, but it is, it takes time just like running, how you adapt to running it takes time
0: yeah so true I think it is really easy just to quickly jump into it I mean running is free everyone can do it you don't need to have any equipment to do it so for any new runners that might be listening what advice would you give to someone who wants to start getting into running
1: number one I would say is have access to a good physio mm. just a little promotion for myself yeah yeah <laughs> I think I think what it is is for me I think when it comes to running is a, a, just get really good at running slow mm. so a lot of times people have time constraints they've got jobs they've got families so they think right, I've got a half an hour so I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna push myself for a half an hour and then they will do that a, a number of times throughout the week so what you're doing then is as you're running at a higher intensity it takes your body longer to recover. So you end up in what I refer to as like that grey middle zone. So you want to get really good at running slowly because it, it allows you to recover quicker and actually for performance benefits, running slower is, is essential, like building your aerobic base. And this is what I would have seen with a lot of people doing London Marathon. When they go into a plan, is they're running all of their runs at a just slightly higher intensity than they should be. So if you're new to running, be comfortable with running slow there's nothing wrong with it yeah. and we actually learned that from the elites because they do 80% of their training at a really low intensity so for example you go out and you're going out for a run you use a, a heart rate device you know you should be if you're looking at your, your lower threshold you should be like for me for example it'd be like 140 to 150 I guarantee you most people when they go out for what's class as an easy run they're probably about 160 to 170 yeah. and that's quite, that's that's quite high and, and then they just get stuck in that zone so get comfortable walking within a run if you need to there's nothing wrong with that particularly if you're coming back from an injury mm. so yeah get really good at running slow prioritise your recovery which is sleep and nutrition which we can go on to in a second and yeah allow your body time to adapt it does take time
0: so true I think running slow is so important because it's really easy to be impatient because let's be honest sometimes it could be a bit boring and you're like yeah. this is just long, I hope like I'm achieving anything yeah. and also I think it must be quite good for your running style, because I remember that's yes. another thing that we spoke about, is my I think also, I think you mentioned this to me, is like as girls, na- naturally we run a lot narrower than guys do, because of our stance, and I definitely found that when I then like thought about it, I was like wow, like my knees definitely go in yeah. when I run, so I guess if you're running slower you can then work on small things like that, or notice small things like that, whereas if you're like pounding the ground you're probably not going to notice those small things
1: uh, no i 100 percent agree and a lot of people will think that they need to run in a particular running style so we'll self-select the way we run because it's what's most efficient for us and yes females do tend to have a narrower stride width. so you came in obviously and i'm sure you don't mind me mentioning was an mm. injury mm. right so with your injury we do see that there can be um, what we refer to as like that knee valgus pelvic drop Um, and a narrow stride that places more strain on the ITB. so what we then want to do is we want to just work slightly on the biomechanics and just focus on you know increasing your cadence so steps you take per minute widening your stance so i think having a couple of running cues that we know are useful and beneficial for the individual is very useful like you said if you're running slow uh, it can be a bit boring but when you have a couple of things to think about it just kind of helps distract you a, a little bit but i wouldn't I wouldn't say that you know a lot of people go online and they will say okay heel striking is really bad like 80 to up to 90 percent of runners will run with a heel strike it's where you're striking the ground in relation to your center of mass that would have a higher importance but yeah, just just go. First thing is just it's just to get out there and run. Yeah, and, and it's so drive.
0: great. Yeah. Like it is so great. Like the feeling you get afterwards.
1: Can I ask you why do you run? It's a question I love asking people. What what is it about running that you love, and why do you do it?
0: Such a good question. I think for me, it's the thinking time, like. You've got no other distraction. I'm a massive multitasker. I do not just watch the TV. Yeah. I'm watching the TV. I'm cooking. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like I'm doing a million things at the same time. So for me, running is it's kind of like meditation. Like I'm not a meditator. I just can't yeah. quite get there yet. But for me, that's my like version of it. I do listen to music, but like just being outside in nature, doing one thing like putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. I think. I get ideas from that I feel like quite creative afterwards and I remember that I think after like not being able to run I felt so trapped and like so uncreative and I think yeah for me that's probably what running does.
1: That's what I was going to ask you about how did you then deal with not being able to do that when you were injured what did you find most challenging about it?
0: I think it was just for me I like when I go to the gym I like to sweat mm. and like when I work out I like to like feel a release and I think for me I was missing the release yeah. and I definitely got into Pilates more and I've like continued that to now and I love it but you were like to me okay uh, do this exercise and walk on the treadmill I was thinking walk on the treadmill like I'm going insane like this isn't enough and I think that's what I missed um, I did a lot of swimming I remember yeah. saying to you I did that spinning was great did that and I think Pilates was just so good and I think actually Pilates is so undervalued sometimes I think with guys especially because I think girls do it a lot and they're very open to it but I think for guys as well like it's so good it's such simple movements and it's so good for you
1: it is very humbling when you do it you see people on reformers and you think that looks easy and then you try it and all of a sudden you realize it's not mm. what I love about it is that it, it really helps kind of highlight potential deficits so if you do one exercise on one leg and you do it on the other side you think why can't I do this yeah and that's a key thing with running is that I know with like football and tennis and cricket and other sports you're going to find differences from right versus left because it tends to be one side dominant but with running you do want to have relatively high symmetry because you're going in straight lines but we're asking one leg and we're asking both legs to do the same amount of workload but if you have one leg that has a 20 percent deficit in hip strength then you're more likely to compensate as you get fatigued so mm-hmm. when you're doing things like pilates and strength training it highlights where these potential deficits might lie. And mm. then it allows you then to to well, hopefully work on those to minimize that risk of when you do uh, go and run. But yeah, yeah, Pilates is, I think, is undervalued in running, I would say. Yeah, yeah,
0: so true. So true. I do think it's so good. Like I go to this one class and like when I see a guy in there, I'm like, I've got so much respect for you because it's, this yeah. class is full of girls. Yeah. And there's like one guy and I'm like, it's so great. And i think it works like the micro muscles in your body so like you mentioned like you'll be like why is this side not good enough or like not good, as good as the other side and it's just because like the micro muscles are probably not as strong um but no it's crazy but what about you why do you run
1: oh, great question why do i run i i run i think to help with my mental health mm-hmm. i run because i love it i love getting out in nature i love the feeling it gives me after i run but also during it I was running in Richmond Park yesterday with a friend of mine and he's, he's actually from Ireland himself and we were just kind of looking around Richmond Park. It was pretty quiet. It was raining and we said, how amazing is this? Yeah. I think I often use the phrase that I'm glad that I get to do it and not that I have to do it. Yeah. So it's like my kind of perspective is that I'm quite grateful that my body allows me to get out and, and run relatively long distances nothing compared to some of the guests you have on your show
0: (laughs) crazy crazy people but yeah no so so true quick note from me i recently tried something that i have never tried before which was a meal delivery service i absolutely love cooking and so it has never been something i would look to do but i have found myself being increasingly time short trying to balance work and social life and everything else. So when Fresh Fitness Food gifted me three days of meals, I was really intrigued how I would find it. And honestly, I was so shocked at the convenience of it. When you were ready to eat, you had a meal perfectly tailored for you, meeting all your goals and needs, tasting absolutely delicious And it just removed the whole food decision-making process, which then allowed space in your mind to focus on other things whilst also feeling really good and healthy. On this podcast, we like to focus on the power and importance of good, healthy food. As food is more than just fuel, it really is and does affect every part of your life, including our mental and physical health. As Fresh Fitness Food likes to say, what's on your plate really can be the difference between a good or bad day. So it's important to eat well so we can give ourselves the best chance to have the best day possible. So if you are ready to feel like the best version of you in time for summer, we have just the thing to kickstart that off. You can now use the code CATCHUPS60 in order to receive 60 pounds off your first five day trial at Fresh Fitness Food. That is CATCHUPS60 for 60 pounds off. So head over to Fresh Fitness Food and give it a try. So when you've been injured, how do you deal with your mental health then? Because you asked me how I coped, and my injury was very, very, very small in comparison to some of the things that you've had. So when you've had your injuries, and you've had four, four now?
1: Yeah, so I've had six knee surgeries in total.
0: Six, yeah. yeah. So yeah. when you've had those, how do you then cope with your mental health when you can't run?
1: It's it's a great question, and something that I would deal with on a daily basis with athletes that come into me. But for me personally, it is focusing on the things that I can do. So I think when you're injured, particularly after having knee surgery, I can't really put a lot of load through the body, but I can find other ways to maintain like cardiovascular health. So what I was doing, I was doing circuits at home with like light dumbbells, just punching. I was in the gym using the arm wheel, like doing 45 minutes to an hour. And I try to do that three or four times a week. So I tried to shift the mindset and focus on the things that I can do. And when an athlete comes into you and they're training for an event and they pick up an injury it's quite frustrating when you tell them you just need to focus because they're like oh, I don't want to I'm you know I'm, I'm pissed off I'm injured yeah and um, but you do have to kind of try and get that message across that look it's accepting that you're injured and I think what I found really what I, th- I thought was great with yourself when you had the injury was that you okay what else can I do in what are the things? And that's where you mentioned swimming, Pilates, mm. getting into the gym. So cross training and then also just finding other enjoyments in life, like speaking to family a bit more and, um, you know, trying to learn a different language, you know, mm. it's throwing yourself into something else to distract you from, the, you know, the day to day of not being able to do something that you, you love. So that for me plays a big part in, you know, maintaining a good mental health whilst I'm injured because yeah i had i've had like three years where i had injury back to back and i've not really been able to do much and i went from like 88 kilos to 100 kilos
0: gosh it's crazy that's really I'm like down to like
1: 95 now but i'm still i'm still on that train trying to trying to improve it yeah yeah that
0: is really really hard though and what about other ways of recovery so we mentioned how that is also so important when you run and in terms of like sleep and nutrition like We all know it's important, but if you are doing lots of running, how is it so important?
1: So when we're we're talking about recovery, it's about restoring the body physically and psychologically. So it's not just about the physical side, it's mentally as well. You need to restore yourself in order for you to to go again. So when you're looking at sleep, I often say we only benefit from the training we recover from. And sleep is where you will get most of those adaptations Obviously, the nutrition helps fuel those adaptations, so those two combined are that's where the lowest hanging fruit is. You do those things really well, and you're already on the track to maintaining and sustaining running healthy because there is a lot of, there is a lot of uh, you know, endurance athletes who do suffer with eating disorders. Mm. you know if you look at males it's zero to twenty percent females it's is from six to forty five percent
0: god crazy and you're like that's worrying because you need the fuel to be able to continue the running
1: absolutely absolutely um so i it's my job to pick up on these things and then i would refer on to things like dietitians and other experts in that field wow. so particularly like with females who come into me and their their menstrual cycle is affected it's mm. a question i'll often ask particularly if they're training like 10 12 hours plus that is a slight it's a risk factor, but it's also required if you're trying to, you know, perform at a certain level. So, you know, I'll ask them, you know, what's your general recovery like? And then they're, well, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really stretch as much as I should. And I'm like, no, what's your recovery like? How are you sleeping? What are your stress levels like? Uh, what's your general relationship? But it's, it's trying to ask it in a way that they, they're open to answering it. Because mm. sometimes it can be a bit of a, it can be a tough subject you know it yeah. can be a tough subject to talk about someone's food and someone's relationship with food
0: definitely definitely but i guess and also something that they might not even admit to yet mm. so that must be really hard do you get that on a regular basis then not regular but quite often
1: i i do yeah, yeah yeah because i work with a lot of competitive and elite athletes as well as recreational a lot of times they're trying to perform at a certain level and sometimes the whole perception is that lighter is better but that's not the case Mm. and so if you have someone who so there's one thing is like relative energy deficiency or people would previously refer to as the female athlete triad where when you're having you're not having enough calorie intake or or sorry or and too much energy expenditure so they're training excessively and they're under fueling that has massive impact on overall health like hormones your your sleep, your mental health, your cognitive function, but also you actually perform poor like it's yeah. it's it's counterintuitive to what some people might think being lighter is not always the the case, so i've dealt with a lot of athletes and helped a lot of athletes understand things around eating and optimizing your nutrition for performance but i'll always make sure i'm working with a nutritionist because again that's like outside of my scope mm-hmm. but it's picking up on these things and you know i can think of a number of athletes at the moment where you know they've really just come on heaps and bounds over the past year because they've understood it more and then mm-hmm. they've also accepted it
0: yeah um, definitely. but yeah
1: nutrition is absolutely paramount so like protein for example like when, when people are coming back from injury they're not expending as much energy so therefore they think they shouldn't be eating as much but your body is trying to recover your tendons, your bones are trying to recover therefore you're probably better off having a, a higher calorie intake well yeah. you are better off because your body is repairing itself yeah. but I think sometimes that, just, that message doesn't get passed on or it's, it's just not really put out there
0: definitely what are the initial kind of things that you look out for or the like kind of hints or clues that people give off that you're like okay this is a trigger I need to now act on it what are those kind of signs you look for Uh,
1: great great question and I actually was thinking about this today on my way in here I was thinking just a number of runners how do I pick up on these things so one is where people are coming back with uh, reoccurring injuries and also when people just don't have the ability to rest so if someone for example has a bone stress injury ideally we will have two weeks so let's say for example someone has a stress fracture in the shin or the foot you're going to be placing the boot you're going to be placing crutches we want you to just relax for two weeks just relax just accept that this is going to take a bit of time and just deal and cope with what you're currently going through you will see some athletes who struggle doing that so you will see under strava that they've been you know in the gym doing certain things and and it's, I think the athletes that have the inability to just take a bit of downtime and those athletes that are coming back and have reoccurring kind of tendon and bone stress injuries. So they're kind of a couple of warning signs. And also if I ask about menstrual cycle and they have a, you know, they're not having their period, then, you know, something that we'll, I'll open up the discussion if they're happy to talk about it. But I'll, again, I'll always refer that on to the mm. the, the right person. Yeah. So there are a couple of things. That so
0: interesting. Make. I guess... It can be so obsessive, can't it? Like fitness and training and all of that can be super obsessive, especially if you're an athlete and you're taking it to the next level. I can imagine that's, yeah, really, really hard. What about your nutrition and your diet? How how does it play a part in your life?
1: Oh, I mean, I would say, you asked the question earlier, sweet or savoury, I have a massive sweet tooth. And I think I probably, no, not probably, I do probably have too much sugar in my diet, and that will affect overall pain experience. So, like, if you're looking at people with a higher sugar intake, again, I'm not a nutritionist, but just from working with nutritionists and reading some of the research around it in relation to injuries, is that we'll tend to have uh, systemic, in terms of, like, pain, we'll produce pain, um, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for inflammation Mm -hmm. so people who have chronic conditions you'll often see that they will tend to have a poorer diet Uh, so that plays a massive role in someone's pain Mm. so it's not often just structural you have to treat the, the whole body particularly with persistent issues so issues lasting more than three months so for me I've had reoccurring injuries and I have no question about it that nutrition has played a role I eat really healthy I love my food I love cooking uh i eat all sorts of different types of food mm. um but maybe that i probably like my pastries a bit too much and <laughs> my, my tea and chocolate at night i think that's just the irish and the tea and chocolate every night is standard
0: yeah i guess it's trying to get the balance isn't it like it is, i always talk balance, this yeah. on the podcast about like i mean obviously i have greedy vegan and I, I, i'm i plant-based but i always say you know not everyone needs to be plant-based and like it's all about balance so if like tea and chocolate is what you need to have at night then yeah. That's okay. Yep. Like you've yep. got to, yeah. What about when you did the marathon? So obviously that was a massive thing for you. You'd, you were injured really recently before or a couple of years the year before. Yep. So the marathon was like incredible. You needed amazing time how was your nutrition then like did you really have to focus on it were you obviously you're burning loads and loads of calories like throughout the training process and obviously on the day so how was yeah how did nutrition play a part
1: i knew going into it that this would be a huge part in me finishing it so my goal was to get around i had surgery eight nine months ago on my knee and i had uh, another major surgery 12 months prior so the surgery didn't go to plan we had to redo it again so and then I entered a ballot and I got in and I said right okay no let's try and get my weight down I did I was like 99 to 100 kilos down to 92 93 on the marathon back up slightly higher now Mm -hmm. but going into it I knew if I wanted to maintain energy and not cramp and particularly like uh, gastro issues that's why one of the reasons a lot of people will stop is because they can't take on fuel so you gotta train the stomach to do it so number of weeks leading into it i was practicing with different types of gels i was making sure that i was um having a similar breakfast on the day of my long run to make sure that i was used to it on the day of the marathon so you know, one key rule is don't change your nutrition on the day of your marathon mm. and i spoke to a, a, an athlete that came into me during the week and they really struggled and they were they were having coke going around the course people were passing them fizzy drinks and he's like why am i doing this because he didn't practice it and, and he was getting a lot of stomach issues. He went to the toilet four or five times throughout the actual event itself. So I really prioritize it and I think for any runners, it has to be, if you're looking at doing a long distance event, uh, the nutrition is essential and if you Correct. neglect it you you will you will get found out
0: definitely definitely I remember um, so my brother ran the marathon and I, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this he doesn't even listen to this podcast I don't think <laughs> so he um, definitely won't mind he doesn't have any caffeine in his diet at all he never has coffee he never has tea no caffeine at all and he was like I really think I need to take these caffeine gels because I think they're going to really help me and I was like well, I don't know like you need to practice so I get a phone call and he was like gee, I'm in Battersea Park and I need to come to your flat right now. I've tried a caffeine gel and it is not good. And I was like, oh my God, okay, you really cannot run with this. And for some reason he thought I'm going to take them with me in case I need it. And I said, whatever you do, just do not take a caffeine gel because your body operates and runs perfectly fine day to day without caffeine. So you definitely don't need it. Um, Luckily he didn't take it. But yeah, you've got to practice before because I can imagine if he did that on the day, it would have just destroyed
1: him he told me this story actually. really he told me the story he came to see me two weeks before with his knee and he said he said any any other tips and i said to him don't change your nutrition on the day before and he told me the story about the caffeine gel and i said categorically just go with what you know and what works well because it will happen again yeah and um, yeah thankfully he didn't
0: thankfully he didn't because that could have been painful So I now wanna talk about something that I saw on your Instagram. You don't often talk about it, but I'd love to talk about the post that you mentioned where you said you were sober for another year. So can you talk a bit about this part of your life? Because you often talk about running and training, but this part we don't hear about much, so.
1: No, and it's a part I'm I'm happy to, to, to chat about, but I guess I didn't start drinking alcohol until I was about 18. So when I was in my teenage years, it was football. That was it. I wanted to be professional. I'd go out with my friends, they'd they'd drink, you know, as you do as you're like 17, getting your you know, your fake idea, whatever it might be. So Mm. I'd go along with them, but I'd never drink. And anytime I did, it was like, Oh my god, Aiden's having a drink. So once I then stopped playing football, I guess socializing and going out and drinking alcohol became just a normal part of my weekly routine. And I guess growing up in Ireland as well, at that time there I live in a small town, beautiful town. There was about eight or nine pubs within that small village. Mm -hmm. It's changed now. We've maybe got one or two, but it was just, you know, it it sounds stereotypical, but it is is quite normal in small rural towns in Ireland where drink is quite a big thing. Mm -hmm. So I'd go out and unknown to me, I was, you know, I was binge drinking. I was getting to a point where I wasn't remembering how I got home. Um, A couple of funny stories now looking back in it where, you know, my... My, my brother tells it quite often now is he came back he heard a sound outside and all my clothes were folded up in the garden with my phone and wallet on top of it and I was asleep in my underwear in the living room and I realized at that point like this is not normal this is not normal drinking behavior and I was I was the kind of person where you know I was a life and soul Aiden's drinking yes this is great I'd never cause any trouble which is was always a great thing but I think over the years then, I used it as a coping mechanism, perhaps maybe for me being unhappy, you know, with a couple of relationships that, you know, didn't go as as, as planned. I'd end up drinking more to kind of, I guess, like a lot of people do, just to numb the pain, but mm-hmm. not really realizing it. And then it got to a point where I was drinking excessively. I'd go out and I'd I'd come home the next afternoon. But then I was working professional in a hospital, and you know treating patients I said I can't continue doing this but then it did get to a point where it was so bad where you know I you know probably I don't think I've mentioned this much but I was I was contemplating like taking my my own life like that was it was that bad so I knew I needed help Mm -hmm. and and you know I I guess it got to a point where it was the only way out was asking for help and I think I grew up as well in a town where there was a number of people and I think everyone knows someone or where someone has taken their own life and I said I didn't want you know I, I don't you know I love my family too much mm-hmm. I love the people around me I said I can't let this be the end of my story so yeah. I was working two jobs I was working in the NHS and I was working in a, a physio private practice and one day I phoned my parents I said I need to come home I need some help and I quit two my jobs moved back home and then I got professional help, so for three months I was you know I was getting getting therapy and you know going to to meetings etc I know genuinely, my life is better than I could ever imagine, and i haven 't drank I think it's been over two years
0: that is amazing so, yeah. that is amazing. I mean firstly, thank you so much for sharing on here because you don't talk about it on your mm. social media at all, but I think maybe it came from a place of like you mentioned that you didn't really deal with the football thing for a while and I mean I'm not a therapist so I mean I'm sure you've thought of all these things but it's it's really interesting to think that maybe that could have been a way of you kind of dealing with that at the time Um, but I can so see how that can happen because although alcohol is great in so many ways it is a depressant at times and like the fear I call it the fear but like people call it different things you wake up the next morning you've got that fear inside you and if you've been kind of binge drinking all day all night you know taking it to the extreme that fear must be like doubled heightened just to the nth degree and then if you keep doing keep doing keep doing it this fear is going to keep building and building and building and like you're such a positive person for it to have got to that point it just shows how much yeah. the fear just completely consumed you I guess which is really scary and how do you find not drinking now do you ever feel tempted or is the positives of not just so much bigger and better
1: there was a point within the first year that I thought okay this is it I'm fine but then I started realising certain behaviours and I realised okay maybe I'm not quite where I want to be so there was always a risk that you know I tried having one drink I tried oh yeah I'll go out and I tried it I tried. it just didn't work for me I Mm. couldn't because I've had one and then you know, within that one night, I could end up ruining everything. So I tried it, didn't work. But now where I'm at at this current point is I don't ever feel like I want to have a drink. And I'm really glad that I can say that. I love socializing. I love music. I love live music. So I go out, not, not as much as I used, but I still like going out socializing. But for me, it gets to a certain point where, okay, people are starting to get drunk around me good on them I, mean, I wish I was in a place where I could enjoy it mm-hmm. um, but yeah so then I just end up taking myself home and then I know I'm going to wake up fresh and I can go and, and do what I love doing which is going to exercise and going out for a walk so um, I think the positives now for me massively outweigh but I don't I think alcohol can be amazing if it's something you enjoy and if you know so I don't I don't begrudge it I don't mm. resent people who enjoy it I'm like fair play but there is also a lot of people unfortunately who do have an issue but they're just not yet at the point maybe where they're ready to admit it
0: yeah I think I mean it is a drug to an extent and we you know we don't actually talk about the fact that it is a drug but it is yeah and yet it's so accepted and it's crazy how I do think the English have a bad relationship with drinking as well like I think we have to this, the yeah. I think we have this culture where if you go on holiday and you're like, oh, they're the Brits, then like you can just see them. And like, we have got this, I don't know, in the Mediterranean, the culture is very much like have a glass of wine with food and it's just very normal. Whereas I feel like it's got this, I don't know, something of, people think that alcohol equals fun, mm. equals forget, equals escape. And it's not, it doesn't mean that. It's, it's, yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm sure you, felt so many people also had were in the same position as you once you maybe spoke about it like I think I hear so many people not drinking now and I'm like wow this is really happening like I I think it's so good to be able to say I don't drink and feel confident in that as well and I think there's so many new drinks coming to the market now where you know you don't have to feel like you have to have a water or a coke like you can have like a non-alcoholic beer and like you fit in which is Bizarre but it, that is a massive factor as well.
1: That that helps me a lot. Like mm. when I go out, just the ability to go and have a non alcoholic beer, I love it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do enjoy it and I agree that, you know, it is kind of cultural within Irish and, and British culture is drinking. I do think though it's starting to shift a little bit now mm. where you're seeing more coffee shops than pubs in certain areas. Yeah. Particularly in Ireland. You know, where I grew up there was I think up to about ten pubs in that village. now we've got about four coffee shops and we've got two pubs.
0: Yeah, it's pretty really um, nice. So That's it so is good. starting
1: to change a little
0: bit. Definitely. But I think the drink, the, what, the amazing thing about drinking is actually everything else but the drink. It's the glass, it's the colour of the liquid and it's the scene that you're in. So like... If I'm going to sit here and have a glass of water in my hand, or if I'm going to have a champagne glass, I'll feel a lot better with a champagne glass in my hand than I would water glass. Just I've never of it that way. Yeah, just yeah. because of the way it feels. And, yeah. like, it suddenly means that something's happening, there's excitement, that you're celebrating something. I don't know, it has so many more connotations. And I think just to be able to have, like, a beer glass with that coloured liquid in the glass you feel like you're relaxing on a Friday without yeah. having to have a glass of water or a Coke. Like, it just feels different. And I just think that, yeah, like, the actual drinking of the drink is irrelevant. It's more like the glass it's in, the garnish that's in it, for example, if you're doing yeah. non-alcoholic cocktails, yeah. um, who you're with, where you are. I think that all plays massive part into the whole, like, Drinking scene
1: I agree, I think a uh, part of it with me was I felt like I needed a drink to socialize to maybe overcome some anxiety issues. you know when I had a drink, it was like, okay, now I can release mm. but yeah i I think it does you people associate drink with being able to socialize, but actually you know I think once you kind of overcome that and now that I kind of put myself, I try to put myself in situations where I need to socialize without alcohol because initially I was like no I don't want to go out I need a drink to be able to socialize whereas now that's no longer a factor and I do think that having that non-alcoholic beer as well as it just it is it is not just a drink it's it's what you're doing around it so I think that's socializing and being with you know and no I, I do think as well as being with the right people like I some of the friends I had as childhood are still my closest friends um but there is certain situations where I know that I can't put myself in this situation because not that this person isn't right for me, but it doesn't bring out the the, the best mm-hmm. in me. So now like my friendship group in London is completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, we meet up for runs, we we'll go for dinner, um you know, we'll go for coffee and we'll go for a cycle, bike ride to Windsor or Surrey. So yeah. and we go away on trips abroad. You know, we go and watch a Tour de France and it's just yeah. completely different and yeah. I wouldn't change it.
0: No, I think that's so nice. And I think I've been going to a few events recently where they're giving out non-alcoholic drinks mm. and I'm like, wow, this is really cool because I feel like it takes the pressure off. Yeah. And I think, um, also you're in, you're in the right industry to an extent because like the people that you might be surrounding yourself with will be health conscious, will be fit, um, that might not be on their radar and I guess also not drinking has given you the ability to put so much more into what you do yep. because you can train to like people always say oh I'm training for the marathon so I'm not going to drink the month before but for you that's like not even a question it's like yep. you must feel like you're optimum all the time which is such a nice feeling yep. um, so no I, I really love that So, to finish off, we always have the same question, which is, what would be your last meal? So, it's starter, main course, and dessert.
1: Starter, I'm going to go for, oh, it's a tough one now. I was away in Portugal last week, and Mm. I had a fish soup. So, I love fish, and I love fresh fish. So, yeah, something like that for starters. Main, I'm... I know you're vegan so but I've got to say I gotta say steak. Yeah, yeah. good steak. one. That's the popular really one. Like a good steak. Um although having said that, my mum's my home cooked uh, bacon and cabbage with white sauce, that's that's actually I would say that's my number one.
0: Oh, yeah. hold on. Bacon, cabbage yeah. and I need so more So it's details. like
1: it's like a ro- it's a it's a traditional Irish dish where it's it's ham, like bacon mm-hmm. and uh it's kinda of like a Sunday roast with cabbage and white sauce and then you've got like all the Wow, yeah, that sounds potatoes, really cool. Yeah, really nice. Okay. Cool. And dessert will probably be it'll be a chocolate cake because chocolate's my yeah, or mm. maybe a banana pie.
0: Chocolate's my weakness as well. You Can't can
1: see wrong. that I'm really having to think about it yeah. because food is a big part of my life. Yeah,
0: likewise. <laughs> People always ask me, and I'm like, don't, don't. The, the question's yeah. for you, not for me. Um, yeah, I think it's a tough one, but yeah, chocolate is definitely my weakness aiden thank you so much for coming on it's Pleasure. been amazing to yeah talk all things sport, running your journey and i love it but thank you so much
1: no thanks for having me on really enjoyed chatting
0: thank you guys so much for listening and i hope you learned something from this episode and at the very least to give the irish physio a follow as his content is so beneficial As always, please keep supporting the podcast. I'm spending the majority of my weeks now growing and building the podcast and we have lots of exciting things coming soon. So follow or subscribe, share with friends and family and keep your eyes peeled for great things soon. Thanks again and see you again next week.